Welcome back to Tall Poppy. This is episode 31. I'm your host, Tathra Street. The story begins 10 years ago. I was an environmental consultant at a meeting with a woman looking for stats on disposable cups that we had found in the waste audits we'd done across office towers of the city of Melbourne. I remember many waste bins containing more than three quarters disposable cups. She wanted to do something about it, and she had a reusable cup. Great, I thought. Look, she's got vision. Maybe it'll have more impact than all the other reusable cups out there. A decade later, she has a global business that's starting to gain some real traction. Abigail Forsyth is the founder and CEO of Keep Cup. In May, we sat down at the Keep Cup headquarters for a chat. She told us how she got her first sale, what's changed since she started, why becoming a B Corps was important to them, and what it was like in the early days of this purpose-based business. We talked about her skepticism and resisting being pigeonholed as a greenie and what it's like to balance head and heart and the sustainability of business, changes to industries like auto and coal and not having the answer. She has great advice about delegating and the importance of having people around you to hold you to account. Now, just a note on the sound. My new mic arrived that morning and I was keen to use it. Little did I know that you really need two mics with two people. So you'll hear the motion a bit and some variations in the levels. Okay, I'd like to welcome Abigail Forsyth to Tall Poppy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tathra. Let's start with where in the world are we? Uh, We are in the Keep Cup headquarters in sunny Fitzroy, Melbourne. Let's start with the first time I met you. You came to where I was working at the time. I was a sustainability consultant and one of the many things that we were doing were looking through um, rubbish bins ultimately in uh, many of the large buildings in Melbourne and uh, compiling all sorts of stats around how many recyclables end up in landfill. And you were asking us about how many uh, disposable coffee mug cups are in landfill, in in the receptacles that we, we found. And um, I remember distinctly that the, in some of the buildings it was up to 80%. And across the board, of course, it's less. But to hear that you were interested in that and wanting to do something about it was, I was so pleased. And I was so excited about the possibility. And now you have a global business. So tell me about your, your, the beginnings and, and how you got to where you are. Okay. So yeah, I remember those days very clearly. And it was the whole purpose of the business was around sustainability and reducing the amount of disposable cups that were in landfill. And it arose out of a business my brother and I ran called Blue Bag in the city. And we, I guess we sold coffee in disposable cups. And over the 10 years we were in that business, we just saw the rise and rise of them. And beginning from people saying, why would I drink out of a disposable cup when I could just have in and I feel like a baby to, oh, I must have it in a disposable cup in preference to any other way to drink it. So... I didn't like the sort of utilitarian mugs that were uh, the stainless steel mugs that were on the market. They were too big and bulky, didn't fit under the group heads of the coffee machine. And I thought there must be a better way to do this. And we designed a cup and began this amazing journey. Uh, I guess the, the things that just stand out for me at that time were we did an experiment where we brought in some decor soup mugs and got customers to, we gave them a 50 cent discount if they reused and we had 15% return rate. So we we're like, oh my goodness, there is a market for this. But I still remember at that time feeling so anxious that 
in our decisions about the material we manufactured in, where we were manufacturing, how we were doing it, that we were getting it right. Sorry, I remember really clearly you talking about the types of plastic because we were, you know, yeah. when I first met you, we were talking about um, recyclability and, you know, just the whole debate about whether or not disposable cups were actually recyclable and that kind of thing. And you had clearly done your research on the different types of plastics, you know, the, the, whether it's toxicity or reusability and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, tell me about why that's important to you. There were two, there's two parts to Keep Cup then and as there are now. One is about making the design fun and friendly and accessible and, and a pleasure to drink from and the other is making sure that we're getting that, that right. So we didn't want to contribute to the world a product that would actually be equal or more damaging than, than disposable cups. So just so you know, or disposable cups are actually made from polyethylene. So it's a very thin polyethylene cup with a paper lining. So people are really tricked that it's a paper cup. It's not paper, it's plastic. And the lids are usually polystyrene. When people talk about uh, sustainable impact, 80% of the impact of a product is usually set in stone in its design phase. So we wanted ours to be made of a plastic that could be recycled in domestic recycling bins, which was polypropylene. We wanted it to be stackable so that whenever we shipped it, it could be um, compressed and shipped very economically from an environmental point of view and a financial point of view as well. Uh, we wanted it to be um, interchangeable. So with Keep Cup, we've got five different size cups. It fits on three of those five sizes. So having components that are interchangeable feeds into that story about sustainability and it informs the way people use the product as well. So if you have a problem with your lid, you can just replace it. Or if you break your cup, you can replace the, just the cup part. Tell us a little bit about how you got from the early days yeah. to today and like I mean I, I walked by the you know next door is, is you know you've got all the boxes and, and um, I'm imagining that's where a lot of the, sh the shipping happens yeah. and so I'm curious about how many staff you have now and how many offices you have and, and okay. you know so yeah a little bit of the story from from there to here. The important part of the startup story is that so we got this prototype we thought it was really sustainable we thought it looked great and um, it was very important to us that we didn't know how big the market was we suspected if it was successful it would be global but at the same time I thought about I'd be running the business from the garage at home uh, so we went around to um, local manufacturers in Melbourne that was really important to us to reduce the the footprint of the business and we went to one guy and he said I have got a million dollars worth of tools sitting over in that shed of people who thought they had a great idea like you this is just a plastic cup are you crazy and he said, "If what I suggest you do is, if you cannot sell this off the prototype, forget about it. And at the time I thought, that's pretty brutal, but he was, abs he was so right. And because it's not only about can you sell it, it's do you have the passion to sell it? Like, is this, is this really a driver? So um, through our business, Blue Bag, we had a lot of corporate catering customers and I think I rang about 100 people in the and we go from the catering team to the sustainability team to the marketing team and it was before we even had the product we just had this prototype that you couldn't even take the lid off and there was some amazing things about that one I really got to hone the pitch and really understand what people's concerns were about sustainability reuse how it would be what environment to be used in um, and then finally I got a, a meeting at the National Australia Bank and I rode on my bike down to the Docklands and my brother said to me, are you even going to put it in a box? And I put in a shoebox. <laughs> so I went down there with a shoebox and I pitched to four people in the sustainability team and they bought five and a half thousand. 
Wow. <laughs> that, that is a great story. Because, I mean, you know, so many people, like you say, there's, there's so many great ideas out there. And it feels like, you know, if, if a business, especially 10 years ago, had this sort of purpose-based element to it, it was kind of, you know, fobbed off as, oh, that's a nice idea, but you're, you're really not going to get anywhere. But you stuck to your guns and you, you got somewhere. And, I, and it sounds like that sort of first sale made a huge difference. Oh, it made a huge difference. A huge difference to my confidence in, in my ability to sell this in the fact that people had an appetite and a need for this product yeah it was a wonderful wonderful moment and um and I guess now in retrospect when I see you know and I see other get I've got my head up now and I see other businesses and sometimes people from other businesses come and talk to me and I realize now what those people saw was less probably the product than my passion for what I was doing like they were buying they're buying my commitment to it and they trusted it that I was going to fulfill and we did yeah so tell me about where where it's at now how many staff do you have how many offices do you have so we now have um, three offices. We've got um, office in LA, office here in Fitzroy, and an office in London. And last year we started manufacturing the plastic cups in the UK to reduce our footprint and tell a story about sustainability. And I've got another little story about that, which is that when we decided to do that, we wanted to do it for sustainability reasons. And I went around and saw about four manufacturers in the UK and I got the pricing and the pricing was more than what we paid in Australia. And so I went out to the team downstairs here and I said, oh, I don't think we're going to be able to do it. Like the economic rationalists had kicked in and one of the girls goes, are you crazy? She goes, you have to do it. It's what you stand for. It's what you believe in. You have to do it and you have to take a punt that you can make that work Um, and that the consumers in the UK who love the brand will value that decision and reward it. <laughs> she was spot on, but it was it was good because you know it's good for your team to keep you honest and keep you on track. Um, I'm going to answer your question. We've got 50 staff now around the world. That's awesome. So the most recent time I saw you was at the B Corps event. So tell me about your journey with B Corps and why that's important. All through our business, people have been saying, "Well, is it fair trade? Is it organic?" Is it um, CE certified? And it's none of those things because it's a plastic cup. So I guess we were looking for something that would say, this is who we are, this is what we do, this is why we do it, this is, this is the outcomes we're looking for and here's an independent body who says, yes, they are who they say they are. So that's why B Corp's important to us because it, I guess one gives it, it also gives it some standards to hold to as well. So I find all their materials really useful in, in measuring the progress of the business to better outcomes. Uh, but it's also a good signifier to the customer that it's what we say is true. Tell me a little bit about the the journey to going global. You know, starting with this very localized, wanting to you know keep the the footprint low, going beyond that. Tell me a bit about that journey. Um, so the journey to go global. It continues to be a fairly rocky one, but I guess from the outset, the very first time we sold Keep Cups to consumers was a design market in Federation Square, and we had a website that was up and running at that point so individuals could buy, and that afternoon someone from Apartment Therapy LA did a blog on seeing Keep Cup, and that afternoon we got seven orders from America. Wow. (laughs) So, So it wasn't like we decided to go global, like we just... We did. We were. We just followed. We followed the interest of customers. So where we saw interest, we followed it. Um, and in truth, in the UK, my brother was travelling with his partner, 
and they started up the UK business. So we sort of partly strategy and then partly just the opportunities presented by people. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to jump into my leadership questions. Can you tell me a bit about what leadership means to you now that's different than what it was earlier in your life? It's mm, a very good question. At this moment, what leadership means to me is um, ensuring I've got the right people on the team, the right skills, and sometimes it's really difficult to know what that, who that person is, what they're called out there in the world, and then once you've got them getting out of their way, removing obstacles to, to people to let them do what they do well. Um, I think when I first started the business and was have been on that journey from, I guess, being just wanting to solve a problem to, to finding myself running an organisation, I think I was really intimidated by, you know, a lot of experts and people telling me I'd, what, what, was, what was the strategy, what was the business plan, that, those sort of things. And uh, I think in retrospect, I probably was naturally a strategic thinker anyway, but just had trouble articulating that in a way that was conventional business speak so I think a lot of it has just been having the confidence to say you know and owning owning it and understanding you'll be the best person to take the business on the journey it's going on. Can you say a little bit about perhaps how your own leadership style has evolved mm -hmm. um, and how you know, other people see you as a leader in the, both in your business, but also in the space of ethical business. At my very best, they would see me as um, someone with a true passion for what they do and a true commitment to what they do. Uh, I mean, I'm a bit of an ideas person, so someone who's a very positive person for, with ideas and with a can-do attitude about how the business will run. Um, perhaps not so good at nurturing people as I perhaps should be I'm finding that if I put the right people around me that can do that then grows from there so I think a lot of people uh, struggle to answer this question because they <laughs> often aren't they're very outward looking yes. and often uh, we don't reflect on our own leadership style um, until you know years down the track or a, a number of people that I've interviewed have ha been involved with a particular leadership program that creates the space for that kind of reflection so it's it's I think it's reasonably common that people uh, struggle with that but I, th I still think it's worth asking let me let me ask you this if if I interviewed your two IC what would they say about you and your leadership style oh, I see so my two IC is someone I've worked with for 15 20 years and she would probably say she would say I'm a good strategist and a and an honest and kind person and a caring person someone who's fun to work with because I believe in I, I believe in people and I that belief is empowering that's why she's still there. Yeah, that would. Yeah, that's great. Um, and one of the things I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is is being good at everything. Mm -hmm. And like you say, you know, putting a team of people around you, you know, that's often the thing that allows us to be really good at what we're good at yes. and have let other people be good at what they're good at. So, what what advice would you have for whether it's solo entrepreneurs or people who are in sort of you know scale up and, and they're they're wanting to uh, empower other people to to do things, but they're you know struggling a bit to let go of control or maybe not trusting entirely. So what, what advice would you have for them? Ooh, I've been talking a lot about this lately. So a few things spring to mind. One is 
do not give over things until you're ready to give them over because just as I've struggled to answer this question about leadership, often when you start to run a business, you know things in your gut about how you want them to go but you're going to struggle to articulate why and how and give you know someone will say can we do this and you'll go no and it'll be really clear but you might struggle to say exactly why and you've got to let that come over time like over time you'll be able to write the brand guidelines and the sales guidelines and all those things but trust your trust your instinct on that we actually were out at our manufacturers who's the same manufacturer of you since the start yesterday and they've just got a new gm in and he said i realize now how the old gm wasn't running the business as well as it could run because he always said, I'll do it. I can do it. I can do it. And he goes, and no one can do everything. So it actually, if you're always saying I can do it, you're going to block the growth of the business. So, but I've certainly been in that position where, like I used to, I mean, sales was where I sort of, that's how the business originally was driven. You know, people say, how did it grow? And it's the same story probably since time began, like, face-to-face relationship building, selling, like telling your story and amplifying that story. But when I, when the business got too big for me to do sales, like I really was like, what, what am I, what else am I going to do? Like I, <laughs> I couldn't see beyond like it's, and I've watched that here with the other people in the team. You can sometimes just not see the forest for the trees. Can you talk a little bit about what you feel like you've learned and um, if there are any particular resources that you find yourself referring to others in terms of, you know, whether it's leadership or sales or running a business or is there anything that really stands out for you about what you've learned and what you refer to others? Um, yes, there's a few things. Um, so there's a, um, an Irish economist called Charles Handy that I read in the 80s, that's how old I am, um, but he talked about the concept of enough. And what is enough? And how do you grow a business that's enough? Like, is how can growth cannot possibly be the metric? Um, and actually, my dad just gave it. He said, "Oh, I thought you might want to see this again." And it was a it was called Beyond Certainty, and he wrote it in the '90s. And what he's saying is still so prescient today about about business. So him, um, and then um, we just employed a copywriter for the first time. She asked me what I read, and I. It's called a first round. I didn't even know what it was. They just have these great articles about business and, and running a business. It's actually a, a venture capital company. They have good articles. So is it um, like a blog or a website or is it the it's company itself called First Round? It's called, the website's called First Round and I didn't know what they were, but that's what they are. And it, yeah, it's called First Round. So they just had a great article today about... Um, having a, a good sales plan and what that means. When you think of the future and you know all the changes that are happening, is there anything in particular that you think we really need to pay attention to to prepare for the future? It's sort of hard. I hadn't finished about my reading. The book oh, that I always sorry. refer to everyone is um, Jared Diamond's Collapse: How to Society How to Societies um, Prosper and Fail and just I often just think about that how incremental change just happens it seems like nothing's changing and then suddenly the world's changed and we didn't you know who cut down the last tree on Easter Island that that sort of thing well it wasn't a tree it was a shrub by the time they cut the last tree down so um, just being mindful of, of that and then the other thing I think I, I always think about was at school in year nine we got shown this documentary called the Milgram Ex- Experiments 
And it was done in the 1950s where they dressed a whole lot of people up in lab coats and said, you're going to answer questions to someone behind a screen and when they get the answer wrong, you've got to give them an electric shock. And people did it. And it was just, I mean, it was such a great thing to show a group of year nine girls who they knew everything. What did you learn from that at that age? Question everything. Question who's asking, why are they asking, is this the right thing to do? Great answer. I love that. So bringing it back to sort of the present and looking at the future, is there something that you think is really important for us to be mindful of as we begin to prepare for the future? perhaps continue to prepare the future in the future yeah I think we need to be mindful of the capitalist world we live in and the, the appetite for material wealth I was thinking about this the other day that I in my own childhood I remember getting the 72 Derwents for my sixth grade six birthday and it was being so amazing and and then out my children they have everything they they have so much stuff and I wonder if they get the same buzz that I got when I got my 72 Derwents in grade six. Like there's just such a such material wealth around us and we're losing sight of what's really valuable in this world. And at the same time, there are so many people with so little. In order for us to preserve the life we have, we've got to give, we've got to give stuff up, but we've got to ensure other people have the ability to live well. So I'm curious about how you reconcile, you know, being in business, being in the capitalist world, um, but also being critical of it. And obviously it's, it's not that they're mutually exclusive, but, you know, I mean, anyone who's listened to my podcast knows that I'm absolutely an advocate of purpose-based businesses. But I'm curious about how that sits for you in your mind as far as, you know, here you are in business and knowing that, how we are living isn't sustainable. And, I mean, obviously you're contributing to you know, sustainability by reducing uh, the use of disposable coffee cups, but, um, you know, what, what else is important to you about that? Reconciling capitalism and being in business. So I've got a, just a tiny little grain of scepticism about the whole business. Well, it's not a tiny grain, it's quite large. About business with purpose, because um, many businesses have started for wonderful, wonderful purposes. So Unilever started because Lord Lever made people wash their hands with soap to prevent the spread of cholera, and now it's a behemoth of questionable value in many of the things it does. I mean, I think there's some great people in that business. Forgive me. But I guess a lot of businesses start off, it's not uncommon for businesses start off to solve a problem. And the challenge, I guess, if I bring it back to Keep Cup is, well, if someone comes up with a better solution than Keep Cup, what will I do? You know, do I, do I have to, at that point, I have to pivot and do something else or shut the business? Like you, a lot of the ills of the world have been people hanging on to old technologies, old ways of doing things just because they cannot and will not move. But then at the same time, you can go, you know, the collapse of the car industry in Australia and the, you know, the closing of the coal mines has wreaked terrible havoc on people's lives. And how, how can we be better at, at planning for that and giving that, that town another industry to, to hang on to? So you can see why people hang on because it's their livelihood at stake. But, you know, perhaps, perhaps there's a better role for government in creating pathways for new technologies and new new businesses to be done. But I, I don't think that works either. As much as Keep Cub is a business for purpose, I know that its success is because I have a 
real commercial mind. I'm commercially minded in my decisions. So you need you need people with brains like mine, ways of thinking like mine, to be able to have the impetus to get up and do these things. It's, yeah, don't have the answer. What I also hear in what you're saying is that, uh, well, I guess it's perhaps more my interpretation analysis. We need people with brains like yours, but we also need people that have both the brains and the heart. Yeah. Because that's that's what drove this business and that's what, like you say, that it's that passion mm. that you were able to express that allowed for people to um, get on board and, and just be like, yeah, we want we want this. Yeah, you're right. So it's it's about keeping those two things connected at all times. So how do you do that? Oh, how do you do that? Well, you've got to surround yourself by people who are going to question you and keep you honest. That's critical. You have to, I guess you have to have your head up to be looking outside at the environment you're operating in and making sure that you are not falling out of step with that. Um, and I guess I feel like the next challenge for Keep Cup in its next phase is I mean, we've got a bit of clout now. In the, in the world sense, it's tiny, but, you know, it's time to start agitating for change with government, like put a tax on disposable cups, ban plastic bags, ban single-use water bottles. Like We've got to get much louder about that conversation and use the power we have to, to force change. I'm thinking about some of the, the steps along the way between you know, well, building your community and um, some of the things, like I know that, yeah, we're talking about a deposit on cups, you know, you get a discount if you bring in your own cup. I remember, I can't remember who I was talking to, but someone was talking about this idea that people, you know, would often forget their keep cup. And so you, what, you did something to, to address that. And, and so I'm thinking about, you know, the, the clout that you have with your, with your community. So can you tell me a little bit about what it was that you did and, and a bit about your relationship with the community that you've cultivated with this business. So, I mean, I guess the first thing about our community is we've, we're about keeping it positive. So we're, we never want to say to people what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. And often when I'm, people speak to me, they want to put me in the, the greenie bucket. And I said, no, I, I, I'm not there because it's not, it isn't really who I am. But also I think it's, there's a danger in that too, because you, we want to bring people, we you know, bring as many people along as we can and the minute you start pigeonholing. But the thing we did is people often said, how many disposable cups have you saved from landfill? And I've only saved the ones I've saved. You've saved the ones you've saved. So we um, developed this program on our website called Reuse HQ and you can um, log on and pledge how many disposable cups you're going to save from landfill with your keep cup or whatever it is you use. So it's about being able to aggregate the effect of that over the time and among a, a wider population. So looking at how, and I guess it's back to that collapse thing. So just incremental things over time, the impact that they have and, and the impact of a change can have. So I guess encouraging people that little things do make a difference. Um, so we've launched that. I guess uh, what we need to do now is tie that back into the cafes that we work with and find a way to bring them in on that journey so that they're, they're part of that story. So tell me a little bit more about the, the vision. Like I'm, I'm imagining you working with these cafes and getting, you know, amazing numbers of, you know, what we've prevented from going to landfill and 
you know, generating a buzz and a story around that. I would love to hear a bit about your vision of, of you know, when, when that happens or when what you're doing is no longer necessary because, you know, we don't have disposables or whatever it is. You know, what, what do you see is possible when the vision of your business is realised? When the vision of Keep Cup is realised, people won't be using disposable cups. They just won't. They just will go, why would I? I mean, why would I walk around with a paper cup when I could just sit for five minutes in a cafe and take the time to drink my coffee? And if I am going to get it takeaway and I want to have it in the car or, you know, people have habits that they love, I'm going to do it in a reusable cup because it's just too wasteful. I mean, I think the climate change is going to ensure the price of coffee makes it really prohibitive to have a takeaway coffee probably quicker than Keep Cup will do its job. If we think about the difference it will make when people are just not getting the disposables and they're remembering their keep cups or they're choosing to sit in, what, what do you think, what's the work going to look like? What difference will that make? If that transpired, then people wouldn't be using disposable bags and they wouldn't be buying drinks in bottles and they would therefore, if they'd gone down that far down the journey, they would be questioning a lot of the decisions they make to purchase things at the same time. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the stuff that, that uh, was very much on my mind when I was doing the sustainability consulting, and, and it's kind of the foundation of what got me into the leadership space. Um, so I love hearing, you know, this, uh, I guess, closing the loop in a sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask you my, my top hoppy question. So if you were speaking to someone who had a business idea, perhaps a, a purpose-based business, or they wanted to write a book or start some kind of change or creative project, and they have, you know, their own internal barriers, recognizing the external barriers, what kind of advice would you have for them? My advice would be why. Why are you going to do this? What are you going to do this for? Who are you doing it for? Uh, what's, what's the outcome you want? And really check your passion and your drive to do this because there's going to be heaps of obstacles along the way. And if they had that drive, I would say, just do it. <laughs> just do it. The world needs more people out there trying to do something that, I guess, connects their mind and their heart. It's, it's, that, it's that thing. And, I, and in some ways, I think, from the people we employ... I think the, the longest lasting legacy we have as a business is probably more about that connection of mind and heart. Like when, when this, and I, someone, one of the staff in the UK has just gone back into big, big, yucky business. Um, and she said that she thinks the thing she's going to miss the most is whenever she said, I work for Keep Cup, people are like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And like when you work for, I don't know, Oh, I best should not say a company, but you know, he'll go, Oh, well, great. But you know, so I think you once you get a taste of that, of working for something that doing something you believe in and doing something that makes you feel good and you feel like you're making a positive contribution to the world, it's pretty hard to give that up. So I guess that's that's one of the most important legacies and inspirations of the business. So is there anything else that you want our listeners to think about or consider or do, perhaps, um, or any sort of final word? That, I mean, everyone's got different things on their agendas and what they're, but I guess question things. Question the status quo. Is this the way it should be done? Like, don't be afraid to ask why. Why? Why are we doing that way? Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much. 
Last month, an Australian documentary series called The War on Waste was making waves on social media and woke people up to the reality of things like the millions of disposable cups that go into landfill each week in this country. And yes, the fact that they're not recyclable, as Abigail mentioned. Smart Company ran an article saying that this show meant that Keep Cup had seen a 400% increase in sales. Abigail is quoted as saying that they've seen spikes at Christmas and stuff like that, but nothing quite like this. So my hope is that this isn't a spike, that this signals a fundamental shift in how we relate to disposables and that seeing Keep Cups in use isn't something I see occasionally get a bit excited. I want it to be kind of, you know, old hat. Like I want it to be like wallpaper. It's just you know, become the norm. So if you're listening to this down the track, think about what you've heard here. Perhaps it will inspire you to change how you relate to disposable cups. And if you're already, if you've already made that change to a keep cup or another reusable cup, or sit down for your coffee instead of using a disposable cup, thank you. One of the things I appreciate about Keep Cup social media campaign is that they, quote, salute the reuser, unquote, and hashtag no excuse for single use as another handle. And you can get the links to the show notes for their social media as well. So yeah, they're not just about selling products. They really are about making a difference on this issue. If you're an entrepreneur or in a social profit, purpose-based social enterprise, I hope that you've taken some of the wise words in this interview to heart. I really appreciate her thoughts around the importance of having both a commercial mind and having the heart that brings the purpose and the passion. And not to take that for granted. Most companies start to solve a problem, like Unilever, very well-intentioned. And I wonder if part of what happened there is that they didn't value, as Abigail noted, questioning everything, even the why, after they became established. It's something that, when done regularly, can support the growing and changing, but without losing the heart. If you're a regular Tall Poppy listener, you know that I've been on a break over June. So three things about that. It was in part so I could take time to move house, to get listener feedback to inform the future direction of the show, and to reflect on how to make it sustainable as a solo, independent podcast producer, not to mention self-funded. So here's what's happening. I'm still in my old house. Settlement's been delayed and hopefully the day that this is released is the day that we get the keys. I posted a few past episodes from the Tall Poppy Vault over this last month and most of them included reminders about the listener survey. But the response has been, well, let me say this. To those who did give me feedback in the listener survey, thank you. I really appreciate it. And anyone else who's listened to two or more episodes, now's your chance. I'm keeping the survey open for a limited amount of time to get a better sample of your opinions to help give direction to the future of this show. It takes probably about five minutes. It's mostly multiple choice. You can skip any questions. Do the ones that are easy for you to answer. At the end, there's a bit of um, stuff about options like Patreon, which gives listeners a chance to support the podcast with monthly contributions as low as a dollar, or things like sponsorship, because I want to know how you feel about the possibility of sponsor messages in Tall Poppy in, in the future. Would it make you listen less? That's my concern, but hey, maybe it's unfounded. There's a link in the show notes about the listener survey, and ideally you've li- you will have listened to a couple of episodes. Oh, yes, a big shout out to Dr. Linda Kirkman, who has listened to every episode and gave me some great feedback. But really, yeah, just a couple of episodes um, is fine to give me your thoughts and help to shape 
the future of this podcast because I really want it to be a reflection of what you want, not just my interests. I need your help to do that. So click on listener survey in the show notes. Thanks in advance. It really does make a difference. It will also bring clarity to my reflections on making this podcast sustainable. And one thing that I will do is that I'll be bringing you some great interviews in the next few weeks. And as I alluded to before, I'm going from doing weekly to fortnightly episodes. For those of you that do not have that as part of your vernacular, fortnightly means every two weeks. So my next episode is scheduled to come out on July 19th. And if I can get a good amount of survey responses, I'll share the highlights with an interview done by one of my guests who interviewed me about my learnings on podcasting to date. So stay tuned for that one. Oh, and an update on stats. Japan has reached the number three spot as far as listeners in your country after the US and Australia. So go Japan. And yeah, I'm lining up an interview with a Japanese expat. So t- stay tuned for that. And of course, I'm always open to tall poppy guest suggestions. So you can contact me via poppy at tathrastreet.com. And my name is spelled T-A-T-H-R-A, surname street, S-T-R-E-E-T, just like road. So once again, thanks for listening, and especially to the regular listeners. Welcome back. It's great to be here again. And if you're new, welcome. It's great to have you with us, changing the face of leadership, one episode at a time, or perhaps one leadership act at a time, or both. (laughs) And yeah, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, or if you have a favorite podcast app, or you can listen right from the website, tathrastreet.com forward slash podcast. And you can find past and future episodes there as well. And of course, on all the major podcast platforms. And you can share this with the people in your life who might be interested or help us build our community by posting links through your social media networks. That's all for me for now. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the flip side. Bye.